Through all the years of TBR Media, we've had so many wonderful experiences collaborating with local businesses. This month, we're collaborating with Anthology Soap Co. We've had the pleasure of knowing Dana, the woman at the front of the homestead, and been gifted the Slices of Soap monthly subscription box. And we can tell you with full confidence that we will be subscribing for more to come. Not only are they curated with festive, seasonal themes, but they are a continuation of small business collaborations. As a supporter of TBR Media, you can receive free shipping on your first subscription box using code FREESHIP. That's F-R-E-E-S-H-I-P. Whether you're looking for a new clean and locally made soap or a body butter that smells so good you've contemplated digging in, Anthology Soap is sure to be a great source of any special occasion gifts for your partner, parents, or even your coworker who's trying a new aluminum-free deodorant. With a mission that resonates with why TBR Media was founded and a fellow Nebraska-owned business, to quote Dana, the CEO of Anthology Soap Co., it is our honor to be with you and to each be our own true authentic selves and to share this thing called life. From our homestead to yours, thank you. And as always, TBR Media is your movie refuge. Welcome to a live version of Cine-ish. We are so excited to be back. It's been a while. We went on vacation uh, at the beginning of September and are just getting around to kind of getting back into the swing of things and content creation. We've got so many cool ideas and cool videos uh, that we plan on making here in the next few weeks. A couple of video essays in the works being written right now, so that's always exciting. We've got a huge... Uh, news discussion today. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, I'm going to break down all of the different streaming prices uh, that are increasing. IGN put together a pretty comprehensive list that I'm excited to share. We've also got a couple of box office stories that I think are wild, including uh, The Exorcist Believer, you know, Paramount obtaining the rights to that for an ungodly amount of money and it only making a little over $20 million at the uh, domestic box office. So uh, it's unfortunate for them, but kind of to be expected with that franchise, especially how people uh, have felt about David Gordon Green and his Halloween trilogy. So there is that as well. Uh, And then the other one involving Taylor Swift's Eras Tour, uh, which is breaking you know, Cinemark pre-sale ticket records. It's it's honestly it's going to be the event of the fall. I think uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that. And then, of course, later in the episode, we're going to be diving into what you might have missed over the weekend, some things to be on the lookout for for TV, movies, and then also gaming. So we've got all of that planned. Um, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, you have news stories revolving the Golden Globes. Uh, and there are two new categories that they're adding. You know, of course, a couple weeks back, they expelled a couple of members for misconduct. The Golden Globes has had a significant problem with obtaining talent and kind of keeping their pool tight. Uh, And what I mean by that is they 
have this ability to keep fucking up and <laughs> it's kind of uh sad to watch at times because everyone kind of takes the golden globes as this like joke in the awards season right you know you tune in to see ricky gervais basically go off um but the two new categories are in and they've added a bunch of inclusivity and diversity rules um not going to get into all of that but we are going to talk about the two new categories that they added and then in addition to all of that um, you know, we're going to have a good time here. Uh, it's been a while since we've been, you know, at the stream. And so I'm excited to dive back in to do the show with you. Uh, just so you know, memberships on YouTube are live. So if you have been wanting to become a member for a while, it helps the show tremendously. There's a few different perks and tiers that you can choose from. And then, you know, during the stream too, feel free to send in your live super chat questions, anything that you have, you know, we pride ourselves in doing the show with you. So we want to hear what you have to say about all the different news topics. Um, but beyond all of that, I think it is time to get into the news. So without further ado, we're going to take just a quick second here so that I can get all the news stories together, and then we'll be back discussing all the latest news. So stay tuned for all of that, and we'll be right back. All right, so let us start now with our box office update. So Exorcist box office, The Believer delivers 27.2 million opening before Taylor Swift's storm arrives. So The Exorcist Believer had no trouble delivering a first place finish at the weekend box office with an estimated 27.2 million from just under 4,000 theaters. With a respectable opening in this climate, the R-rated film came in below expectations domestically as it tries to revive the franchise after you Universal reportedly paid a hefty $400 million for its rights. Overseas, the pick started off with $17.9 million from its first 40 markets for a global start of $45.1 million. The David Gordon Green-directed horror pick hit theaters exactly 50 years after the first Exorcist opened and made cinema history, grossing nearly $450 million at the global box office before adjusting for inflation. Now, that's a tremendous haul for the original Exorcist, and I think a lot of it has to do with just how scary that film is. Um, and so, you know, people were excited to see it back. I mean, obviously, The Exorcist didn't break any box office records or anything, um, but I feel like people were excited to return to that property. Believer had recently moved up its release by one week after Taylor Swift announced her new concert film, The Heirs Tour, will open across the globe on October 13th, since both films will appeal to younger moviegoers. And what I mean by, like, I'm not sure that they both appeal to younger moviegoers. Obviously, horror, the demographic is a little bit younger. You know, you usually have people under the age of 35, uh, typically, going to see horror movies. The Era Tour, the Eras Tour film uh, from Taylor Swift is going to have a much more expansive reach than I think uh, they're giving it credit for. I think that hits... A lot of demographics you're gonna have a lot of adults going to take their kids to the concert film and so like the demographics on that while they while the interest may skew younger your demographics gonna be a lot wider uh, Blumhouse Morgan Creek and Universal teamed on Exorcist Believer which cost a relatively modest 30 million dollars to produce with two more installments already planned 
Universal bought the rights from Creek in 2021 as Legacy Studios raced to compete with streamers. Uh, heading into the weekend, The Exorcist Believer was tracking for a domestic launch of 30 million to 36 million range. Obviously, it came in a little bit under expectation there, but it's the fourth film in the franchise. Uh, the horror market is also saturated. Saw 10, or Saw X, which debuted at 18.6 million a week ago, earned an estimated 8.2 million from a little over 3,000 theaters in its second outing to come in number three behind The Exorcist and Paw Patrol The Mighty Movie, which earned 11.8 million from 4,000 locations in its sophomore outing. Uh, Lionsgate's latest Saw installment fell 55% for a 10-day domestic total of $32 million against a reported production budget of just $13 million. Now, they had something right with the production budget on Saw 10. You know, it's had diminishing returns, the Saw franchise, at the domestic box office specifically. I mean, Spiral's box office results were abysmal, and a lot of that could be attributed to the COVID-19 pandemic. But beyond that... Uh, you know, you go in with a 10th installment with a production budget that is very, very low comparatively to some of the other films on the market, and you hope for the best. And so, obviously, they're going to make their money back with that movie. They'll probably, you know, with a positive reception, I think it's the last time I checked, Saw 10's Rotten Tomato score is like an astonishing 86%, at least the last time I checked. And so, you know, the critical reception's good. The audience seems to love it. Uh, it made its money back and then some why not go for another one so it totally makes sense that they might do that um paramount's paw sequel held well with families of course falling over only uh 48 for a 10-day domestic total of 38.9 million and 87.1 million globally against a modest 30 million dollar budget the Nun 2, which opened to $32.6 million last month, is now in its fifth weekend and earned an estimated $2.6 million from 2,492 cinemas to place number 7 on the October 6th through 8th domestic box office charts. Um, it has earned $81 million domestically and a sensational $167.6 million overseas for a global haul of $248.7 million against a $38 million budget. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's incredible. In terms of the top five films of the weekend, New Regency's original sci-fi epic The Creator fell 57% in its second outing to 8.2 million from just under 4,000 locations for a 10-day domestic total of 24.9 million and 61.8 million worldwide against an $80 million production budget. A24's Dix the Musical sang loudly as it opened in its first seven theaters in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. The gleeful R-rated musical scored a stellar location average of $31,552, the best per theater average of the weekend, and one of the best of the year. So, um, basically, when you're looking at per theater averages, that number is kind of astonishing for a movie like that because that indicates that those theaters were absolutely packed. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about a, a really limited release, it makes sense, you know, if it's only playing in 20 theaters across the country, of course, there's kind of an exclusivity thing there where people feel like they need to get in on the hype before it dies off. So um, that's kind of what's happening with that. Box office is really interesting. Um, but that's going to conclude the box office projection. If you're a fan of all things entertainment, consider checking out our website. You'll find podcasts, movie reviews, opinion articles, and even more content covering all things related to film culture. Our site has been active since 2018, beginning with our mission to amplify independent voices in our very own home state of Nebraska. 
As months and years passed, it was evident that there were creative communities from all across the world that lacked access to press opportunities for their projects. We wanted to expand coverage for filmmakers on all levels and etch guiding marks on the global indie community. Through your partnership and submissions, we can make this a sustainable reality for thousands of filmmakers. Whether you're looking for an interview opportunity or a review of your latest project, we have you covered. Simply search www.theboroughmedia.com in your web browser and head over to our contact page to sign up for a free TBR Media account. Afterwards, you'll get access to exclusive membership options in our shop for one-time review commissions on short and feature films. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines. We can't wait to build a thriving indie community with you. TBR Media is your movie refuge. I want to move in now to some of the other stories that we have. So I want to bring an update to the SAG-AFTRA and the WGA strikes. So obviously, the last time that you heard from us, the WGA had come to the negotiating table with the AMTP over the weekend, and they were able to hash out a deal. Um, And it's a fairly generous deal, especially for the writers, given all the circumstances with negotiations leading up to that point. Um, You know, it's kind of insane you know they're they're hashing out negotiations for five days in a row when they haven't been talking for months and months and all of a sudden a deal's reached it's almost like if you if you come to the negotiating table in good faith a deal will come from it and everyone will be happy well not everyone but you know the consensus is you have to give and take a little bit on both sides so the residuals were a big sticking point they seem to hash that out pretty well there are major protections against ai and ai usage by studios which the you know the sag after union can model after the wga but uh all of that was solved and i highly recommend that you go read an in-depth analysis on kind of the the specifics of the negotiation and of the deal that they were able to reach with their contract uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with SAG-AFTRA. Uh, major studios continue negotiations as strike nears three months now so this is from the los angeles times leaders of SAG-AFTRA and the major hollywood studios are wrapping up their first week of negotiations since the 160,000 member Uh, performers union went on strike in mid-July, but the sides aren't close to a deal, a source familiar with the talks said on Friday. The two groups met three days this week at SAG-AFTRA's headquarters um, and have agreed to resume talks on Monday, so that's a good sign. It means, you know, they're, they're deep in the negotiating process, they're trying to figure out what they want to be doing and, and what they need to be doing in terms of coming to a fair deal. Uh, the sessions have been productive, Three, uh, these sources said, providing an opportunity for ranking company executives to hear directly from union leaders, uh, including SAG-AFTRA's president, Fran Drescher, who has been sharply critical of the industry leaders. Uh, Friday marked the 85th day of SAG-AFTRA's strike against the major entertainment companies. Um, SAG-AFTRA called the strike July 13th after five weeks of bargaining with the AMPTP, which represents the big companies. Of course, that's the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. The unions seek uh, greater compensation, higher residuals, and greater protections against the artificial intelligence to replicate a performer's image and voice. So if you remember, one of the things that they that the studios were kind of floating around was the, the fact that they were going to, for extras, you know, take a digital likeness of a of an extra or an actor or performer um, so that they do basically like a one-time payment uh, to use that performer's likeness and then they can just 
input that into whatever they want. Um, and that's totally unacceptable, uh, borderline insane, if you ask me. And so I'm, I'm happy that the WGA was able to really, really get good protections on artificial intelligence. It's a model that SAG-AFTRA can then, you know, use at their disposal during negotiations. So um, that part of this whole thing is vaguely solved, hopefully. Uh, in addition, SAG-AFTRA has demanded that its members share in revenue generated by streaming service, uh, saying that, quote, the current business model has eroded our residuals income. Um, this one is also going to be a little bit tricky. If you remember part of the WGA's negotiating deal um, and their contract deal that they were able to reach uh, to get the writers back to work was that um, essentially when it comes to uh, revenue sharing, the streamers, specifically like your big ones like Netflix, um, hold that streaming data hostage. So no one's getting an accurate reporting of just how many people tune in for Netflix originals, for instance. And so that was a huge sticking point because how do we how do we get to a point where residuals make sense when we don't even have the streaming data? So the WGA was able to actually secure the rights, essentially, um, to confidentially get that data from the streamers. Um, you know, specifically the, the, the bigger kind of uh, shows and, and movies that they actually produce. Um, so that's a good securement by the WGA. It's confidential. So us as the public is not going to understand those streaming numbers. However, the WGA leadership will, and hopefully that's a model for SAG-AFTRA here, you know, to secure some type of confidentiality agreement with the streaming data. That way, uh, they're able to negotiate on the issue of residuals a little bit further. So, uh, top executives of the major media companies, including the Walt Disney Company, Chief Executive Bob Iger, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zasloff, and Ted Sarandos from Netflix, uh, have attended this week's sessions along with AMPTP President um, Carol Lamberdini. Dresher and SAG-AFTRA Chief Negotiator Duncan Crabtree Ireland have represented the union. The ongoing talks and involvement of Hollywood's top brass signals a desire on both sides to resolve the strike, which combined with the recently settled writer's strike has caused widespread disruption to the film and TV business. The pain has been felt throughout the industry, including for tens of thousands of actors, crew members, who still remain out of work. Late last month, the four top executives held a negotiated um, a uh, tentative deal with the Writers Guild of America, ending the Guild's 148-day strike. WGA members are voting on whether to ratify the agreement. The voting period closes on Monday. Um, so it's kind of insane when you look at just how much money this has cost, not only the entertainment industry, but Hollywood as a whole, you know, Los Angeles. Um, actors, fortunately, according to the LA Times here, you know, they've been out talking with picketers, and uh, all the actors seem hopeful, but they're standing firm on, on what they are requesting. Uh, and so that's a good sign, you know, they're in good faith. Um, they obviously want the deal to be wrapped up as soon as possible so that everyone can get back to work. And I, I think that's totally valid for them. And uh, we'll keep you right uh, right here on Cine-ish, updating you with all the latest in the SAG-AFTRA deals. Hopefully by the end of this next week here, uh, we get to some sort of middle ground so that everyone can get back to work by November 1st. That's kind of the hope here. And the studios, you know, they always shut down. Uh, distribution studios, production studios, all of them. 
uh, they all shut down, you know, during the holidays pretty intensely. And so it just leaves the actors and the performers doing their press junkets for the big holiday movies that are releasing, like your your Wonkas, your Dune 2s. Uh, unfortunately, Dune 2 has been delayed until next year, so that's unfortunate. But um, it gives them an opportunity to kind of promote those films while not really, you know, working all of that much and certainly not on the scale that they normally would be, especially, you know, at the beginning of the year. So let's talk about streaming prices because streaming prices continue to rise. We've seen it. Um, everyone's gotten multiple emails about, you know, different uh, price increases on all of these different streaming platforms, um, and it's going to intensify. So uh, IGN pulled together a list of some of the biggest price increases coming this month, um, and I applaud them so much for doing this. It kind of gives you an idea in one place of kind of the shifting of the industry. And of course, it's no secret that Netflix is reportedly uh, going to increase their prices again as well due to the, the dual strikes that kind of shuttered the industry. And so, um, you know, when one company does it, it's like a justification for everyone to do it. And uh, it's no surprise that, you know, it kind of trickles this way into this domino effect. So Discovery Plus, it's already in effect from October 3rd. It's raised the price of its ad-free tier, uh, previously costing just $6.99. It has been bumped up to $8.99 per month. Uh, so that's unfortunate. Next week, uh, we'll see Disney increase the price of its flagship streaming service, Disney Plus. Current Disney Plus plans see the online streaming service available for a basic rate of $7.99 per month with ads and no downloads. However, the premium plan, basically the one without any ads, will get a bit more expensive. The plan is currently $10.99 per month or $109.99 per year and allows users to download on up to 10 devices. Um, but it's going up to $13.99 a month on October 12th or $139.99 per year, which is unfortunate. Uh, they raised the prices in 50 countries, um, according to Bob Iger, in the quarter three earnings call. In a similar story at Hulu, uh, currently Hulu's ad-free tier is available for $14.99 per month. However, on October 12th, you can expect the paying price to be $17.99 per month, another $3 increase. Uh, Disney has a majority ownership of Hulu, uh, so when you see you know Disney releasing, uh, releasing price hikes on their mainline streaming service, of course Hulu is going to be next. Um, this article also goes on from IGN to discuss how Netflix has plans to increase its prices. Um, a couple industry insiders uh, insiders have reported that, but you know, on on the front front page of Netflix's site, they're not going to be announcing that anytime soon. Um, but I would expect in either Q1 or Q2 of 2024 for them to actually increase the prices pretty dramatically. Um, but that kind of gives you a list. You know, we had a Paramount price increase. We did a news story of a few months ago about several different, you know, streaming services increasing their prices as well. These are just the big hitters in the streaming industry, you know, Discovery Plus, uh, Disney, Hulu, um, and then probably Netflix. So uh, let us know what you think of all of these price increases, because I'm, I'm going to tell you what, like... Uh, I know Cox and a couple of the other cable providers um, are also increasing their prices as well for standard, you know, network television. And uh, 
it's just getting so expensive to keep track of all of this stuff, you know? Um, we had Hulu Live for quite some time, and I really liked Hulu Live just because, you know, occasionally, like, you're flipping through streaming services, you don't know what to put on, everyone's arguing in the household about, you know, what they want to watch and what they don't want to watch and their preference, uh, and it was so nice sometimes just to, you know, flip on the TV and turn it onto a random channel just to see what was happening. Um, and unfortunately, that art of cable has kind of been lost in the streaming era. Um, it, it's more indecisive now, for sure. And so uh, when we canceled our Hulu Live, you know, it became like, okay, well, now that we've canceled the 70 or $80 a month, you know, price, which I'm, I'm not even sure what Hulu Live and, and YouTube Live is now. Uh, it, it's probably way more than it ever was when I was paying for it for years ago. Um, but, you know, when you, when you uh, cancel whatever live service you have, it kind of frees up a lot of flex income to then, you know, just subscribe to all the different, you know, streaming services. But then, you know, over the years, they start increasing their prices more and more, gradually, sometimes not so gradually in Netflix's case. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're paying more than you would for a cable package in some cases. Uh, so it's just gotten absolutely r ridiculous, but nonetheless. Um, we talked about the Taylor Swift Eras uh, Tour a little bit while ago, but I want to dive into it because it is making history. Uh, this is an article from Slash Film. The fall season has been off to a relatively slow start at the box office. September can be a bit of a deadish, deadish month, but this year's soul um, had solid hits such as The Nun 2, The Equalizer 3. Even so, the theater owners could use a big breakout blockbuster hit just to round out the fall season. Well, they're about to get just that, and it's Taylor Swift to the rescue. The mega pop star is set to bring her latest arena tour to theaters next weekend with the Taylor Swift Eras Tour, which was announced at the end of August, scarcely over a month ago. But Swift didn't see um, or need any more time to carve a record-breaking path for her much-anticipated concert film. Despite the fact that the promotional campaign for the film has felt a little muted, it appears that it hasn't hurt ticket sales in the least bit. Swifties are perfectly capable of rising to the occasion on their own. Case in point, the Eras Tour is set to debut to at least $100 million domestically, with Deadline saying it could go as high as $125 million. Even that number might be on the conservative side, though, as it's hard to say, you know, with these concert films, what draw they actually have. Uh, theater owners and exhibition industry insiders have long been looking for opportunities to get people to the theaters in cool, unique ways. You've seen it with, um, you know, if you've ever been to the Turner Classic Movies presentation with Fathom or, you know, any of the Fathom events that they, that they hold. Uh, upgrading, obviously, the seating in the theaters to make the experience a little bit more comfortable. But recently, there's been a shift for almost live entertainment in a theater setting. Um, one of the coolest things that I thought uh, was happening in the industry a few years back is we started to get football games. We started to get UFC fights. And that kind of created a new kind of market for the movie theaters that weren't previously available. And a lot of that comes through the advent of the streaming service. Um, so theaters have found a way to adapt. And one of the newer ways that, that they're starting to catch on to this is by bringing 
concerts to your local cinema. And uh, it's exciting because if you, you know, obviously don't have the money to go out and spend an ungodly amount, hundreds of dollars on a concert ticket, or, you know, the artist that you're wanting to see isn't even coming to your area, this creates an avenue for the re part of that revenue to go back into your local theaters and the exhibition markets. And I think it's a really good step. It's solid. Um, and Taylor Swift, Beyonce has one coming out here in the next few months. Uh, you're going to start seeing this more and more, especially when you have such widespread kind of joy over a concert film coming to movie theaters. I mean, $100 million domestically is on the conservative side. I could see it probably going up to as much as $155 million on its opening weekend, as Slash Film points out here. This would be by far the biggest opening weekend for any film since Barbie opened $162 million in late July, en route to becoming one of the highest grossing movies of all time, with $1.43 billion globally for its finish. Um, much like Barbie and Oppenheimer saved the summer movie season with the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon, Taylor Swift seems poised to be the savior of the fall season. It's difficult to speculate how much money Swift's concert film could pull in for its entire run, but it's safe to say that even if it drops off a cliff in its second weekend, which it probably won't, we could be looking at one of the biggest movies of the year. And it's not even a movie. I mean, it is a movie, right? But it's, it's more so of a concert experience at the theater. So that's fun. Uh, there was also a report that this film and the pre-sale tickets broke Cinemark's pre-sale records. So not only is it going to be, you know, poised for a massive box office success in its opening weekend, but it's smashing pre-sale ticket records at one of the bigger movie theater chains. So it's something to note for sure. On our YouTube channel, we live stream Cine-ish episodes so that we can interact with you, the viewer, as we make our show. You'll also find video essays, reviews, and trailer reactions for all your favorite properties. We offer different perks exclusively to our YouTube members. Whether you're looking to join the TBR Cinema Club Discord server, gain custom member badges and emotes, get early access to our videos, and exclusive member-only content, or get producer credits on our videos and podcasts. There's something for everyone on our YouTube membership. To find us, simply search at The Borough Media on YouTube or type in TBR Media in your search bar. Make sure to not only subscribe if you like the content, but to give the video a like and ring the bell to make sure you receive notifications when we upload or go live. TBR Media is your movie refuge. To go back over to Disney, Disney is going to start cracking down on password sharing. And I know that's going to break a lot of people's hearts out there, mine included. Netflix did this. We were tracking Netflix, you know, doing this for years. I think since 2019 was the first initial report that came out uh, from an insider that said basically like Netflix was looking at cracking down on password sharing. No surprise. They had a big dip. You know, they had a surge during COVID and then when things kind of got back to normal, there was a huge dip in subscriber growth. The same thing can be said about Disney+, Plus, even as they are producing more content now than they were, um, significantly more content than they even had at the beginning of their launch. Um, with all the Star Wars shows, Ahsoka, um, they've had a lot of content and uh, Loki Season 2 uh, releasing over the weekend. So uh, it's clear that they have a lot more content than they've ever had, and yet... 
not enough subscribers uh, because they're going to start cracking down on password sharing starting next month and and they reserve the right to terminate violators accounts so i'm curious to see if they actually go through with you know suspending accounts because that would be quite shocking to me but uh we'll see i guess if you're piggybacking on someone else's Disney Plus account, you may soon have to pay up to access the streamer. The Mouse House has notified Disney Plus subscribers in Canada uh, that as of November 1st, quote, unless otherwise permitted by your service tier, you may not share your subscription outside of your household. Uh, the notification also informs customers that if the company has determined that a Disney Plus subscriber has violated those terms, we may limit or terminate access to the service and or take any other steps as permitted by this agreement. The language suggests that Disney Plus will be offering a new option or options for account sharing outside of a primary user's household, which is a smart move, right? You have families that um, need this kind of service so that they can, uh, they can get access and especially when you're talking about, you know, families with students in college or you're talking about families that are kind of scattered throughout the states, um, specifically here in the U.S. I'm talking, it makes total sense to add in a tier, you know, for them to pay a little bit more money just so that they can actually share their account with their family members outside of their primary household. Um, it would be stupid not to because I think what you're going to find here, if you really do crack down on this hard, um, and you are suspending accounts, and you are basically making sure that no one can password share outside of a primary location, um, I think people are willing to pay the extra money for the convenience. I do. So why not just offer that tier up immediately and just encourage people to switch over to that plan? Uh, we'll have to see what comes of it, but the notification to Canadian subscribers is part of the company's updates to Disney, the Disney Plus subscriber agreements that basically clarify rules relating to the sharing of accounts with the U.S. coming this year. So, we'll see what it has in store for the U.S. subscribers, but this message was specifically for Canadian users, so I just want to make that absolutely clear. Uh, meanwhile, also beginning on November 1st, the company is set to launch the Disney Plus ad-supported plan in Canada, as well as the U.K. and eight other European countries. So, um... Bob Iger is basically just looking to drive revenue from password sharing users. You know, it's no surprise that this is happening. Uh, for three months, um, ending on July 1st, Disney Plus subscribers in the U.S. and Canada dropped by about 300,000 subscribers. So you can see here the need to implement something like this so that it encourages more people to sign up for their own plan and those subscriber numbers can go back up. Um, I actually don't have a Disney Plus uh, account. You'd be surprised to know. I The main reason that I don't is because uh, Ren has the account, and I see no need to pay Disney any more money. They, they, they get all of my money, you know, at the box office. Uh, they don't need any more money, in my opinion. And so, and plus, you know, the Star Wars shows, The Mandalorian, has been good. Even season three, it, it you know, even with it faltering a little bit, the Jack Black, Lizzo, um, I still like The Mandalorian. Ahsoka was okay. I liked Ahsoka. I didn't get around to Boba Fett, but I heard it was horrendous. So, you know, it may just be a quality control issue on the shows that they're actually putting out too. And that, that marriage between these shows on these streaming services and the live action films that we get in theaters, right? The fact that you need to see a lot of these things, um, 
on the platform before even going to see the latest movie, they're going to have to they're going to have to fix that problem. Uh, you know, obviously you want to make things interconnected, especially with the MCU and Star Wars, but there has to be a way to do it in which you're not you're not leaving people behind or in the dust about certain things. You know, when when they go to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and uh, p- people didn't watch WandaVision, and you're like, wait, why why is Wanda doing this now? Why why is she all of a sudden the villain? Um, there's a lot of contextual themes that are missed. And I worry the same is going to be true for whatever live-action Star Wars movie they're working on, um, centered around Thrawn, supposedly. Uh, a team-up of sorts, the Filoni-verse. Um, Dave Filoni shows, you know, Ahsoka and the Mandalorian uh, with Jon Favreau. If, if people need to go back and watch three seasons of Mandalorian, a season of Boba Fett, a season of Ahsoka... Just to be able to enjoy that latest release in theaters, I think it's it's a huge mistake. So they're going to have to course correct on this somehow. Nonetheless, let me know what you think of um, all of this, you know, price hiking, these password sharing crackdowns. Let me know because I'm, I'm really curious if you think that this is justifiable on the company's ends or if you think that it's price gouging. Um, nonetheless, let's talk about the Golden Globes. So they added two new categories, and this is exclusively reported to Variety. Um, the two new categories have sparked a lot of controversy. Those two new categories are blockbuster movies and stand-up comics. So <laughs> think uh, for blockbuster movies, think of something like Barbie, which may not have a path to getting a Best Picture nomination at the Academy Awards. Um, this category essentially opens up the kind of possibilities for the categorical sections of these award shows. So uh, if you'll remember correctly, a couple years back, the Academy also tried to implement something like this. It failed horribly. They took it off. Um, And I I think the Academy is a little bit more pristine when it comes to keeping their kind of version of themselves to the public. The Golden Globes just simply doesn't care sometimes. They say that they're trying to get better. They did expel a couple of members for misconduct a a couple weeks ago, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. Uh, They added more diversity rules and inclusivity clauses to their voting body. They're trying to do damage control. And so (laughs) doing damage control at the same time that you announce really weird categories to your award show is an interesting move, to say the least, but let's break it down here. The Golden Globe Awards will introduce two new categories to its upcoming January broadcast. Variety has learned exclusively. The categories will honor hit movies with global reach in either box office or streaming views, as well as acknowledge the best performance in a stand-up comedy special. So think all of those Netflix stand-up specials that you have that are constantly coming out. Um, Those basically will be qualified for that category. The first new prize in the Golden Globe for cinematic and box office achievement. Eligible nominees will be among the year's highest earning or most seen feature films that also deliver creative excellence. Titles must have grossed at least $150 million during release, $100 million of which must have come from the domestic box office. So, the domestic box office in the United States, it has to have at least $100 million, so it can't be a case where 
you have something come out and maybe it opens to $60 million uh, domestically and then it just falls flat on its face and it can never reach $100 million. Now, likely that wouldn't be the case for something coming out, um, you know, starting off in the $60 million range. That would probably be reserved for your $15 to $30 million movies um, domestically. But uh, nonetheless, take that example. If they don't reach $100 million in the United States, they are not eligible for this award. Um, so that's a really interesting caveat there. But it, it kind of makes sense when you're talking about um, some of these movies that are global phenomenon are not the same here in the States. And uh, so this is their way of, I guess, adding stipulations in to make sure that, uh, that they're playing along with the rules set forth by the Academy, essentially. Um, the seven, the second new category, best performance in a stand-up comedy special on television, recognizes outstanding work in, uh, from a comic in a traditional stand-up format, or as a breakout comic in a troupe or ensemble. Comedy specials airing on broadcast, basic, and premium cable, streaming, and pay-per-view cable will all be considered. Projects must have a recognized distributor and individual social media accounts will not be eligible. So you can't just have a random social media account where you're posting your specials to or on TikTok and then think that you'll be eligible for this. Um, the Golden Globes, quote, has a rich history of supporting and celebrating the work of comedians and we're honored to uh, bring their brilliance alongside outstanding motion picture and television performances of the year. So... This is really interesting. Former Variety editor and current Golden Globes executive vice president Tim Gray added that blockbuster movies, quote, have typically not been recognized among industry awards, but they should be, which there's an argument to be made. But if that's the case, then I want to see a horror category at the Academy Awards and at the Golden Globes, because horror in its entirety, for the most part, is shut out of most awards competitions. Uh, there's still a lingering stigma. Even though it's gotten better over the years, uh, you can make that argument for so many things. So, you know, pinning and attributing this to blockbuster films indicates one thing to me, and one thing only. They want the viewership. If you went out and you saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3, if you went out and you saw The Force Awakens in 2015, uh... Maybe they'll get more viewers by adding them to the list of presumptive nominees come the Academy time. So I think that's what's occurring here. You know, you go out into the theater and you see all these big blockbuster hits and then, oh, look, uh, there's an award show with a category that's exclusively for those films. And uh, I, I want to tune in just to see, you know, what takes the cake. Um, that's, that's pretty much what's happening here. I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on total viewership. I really don't. I really don't at all. I think what has an impact on viewership is making a clear, concise show. It's having a presentation that makes sense and a format and a flow that works that doesn't overstay its welcome. That's not four, five, six hours long, it feels like, you know? I think that's what increases your viewership and your uh, retention duration as well. How long are people watching for? I don't think that this will have any major impact on that, but I'm curious to let uh, to hear what you all think, you know, feel free to let us know, send in a comment, send in a super chat, uh, let me know what you think about this, but um, I'm certain that it won't have that much of an impact on the overall presentation of the body. So that is going to conclude the main news stories for the news bit. 
Now I want to go into what you might have missed. So there were tons of things that actually came out this weekend, uh, the 6th through the 8th to be exact. You had David Gordon Green's The Exorcist Believer, which didn't drum up that much at the box office and also is not critically loved. I think the last time that I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it was hovering at 28%, uh, which is just abysmal. But if you're a fan of the Exorcist franchise, or you just like what David Gordon Green did with the Halloween trilogy uh, most recently, go over and check this out. Uh, you had the Kane Mutiny court material. So this was on Paramount+. Plus. Kiefer Sutherland, who we all love, Jason Clark, Monica Raymond, Jake Lacey, uh, tons of people in this. Um, and, you know, if you're a fan of period pieces, here you go. Uh, Chucky also came out on Sci-Fi. It's in its, I think, third season. Yes, third season uh, of Chucky on Sci-Fi. I watched the first season. It was good. It was good. Um, I'm not a big Chucky fan. Chucky has never been one of my favorite horror IPs, uh, but the show was doing something uh, that I thought was really interesting in its format and, and the way that they laid out the story. It feels like an extension of the films. Um, you've had other horror properties try and do the same thing on television, and it hasn't worked quite well. I know what you did last summer, Scream. Uh, while I do love uh, those TV shows, uh, there was a disconnect, I felt like, from the actual like movie IP, right? The feature film IP. Uh, the TV show should act as an extension of the original IP. Chucky does it better than anything else that I've ever seen. Even though I find that the first season was not to my liking very much. I mean, I, I had an enjoyable time with it, but it's not something that I wanted to go back for more in seasons two or season three. But it is pretty critically loved. And it is getting really good reviews. So if Chucky's your thing, uh, it airs weekly on sci-fi. Then we have on HBO Max, Our Flag Means Death. It's season two. The first three episodes are now streaming on Max. Uh, obviously, this is the pirate show with Taika Waititi. Uh, it's, you know, it's exactly what you think a Taika Waititi show on HBO Max would be. Uh, I've heard really good things about it. I've seen a couple of clips, but I have not watched any of season one. So um, if you're a fan of Our Flag Means Death, then go check out season two on Max. Then uh, the big release, the one that everyone's talking about, obviously, is on Disney+, Plus, and that is Loki. Um, so Loki season two is back. It's streaming on Disney+, Plus, the first episode right now. Um, Tom Hiddleston is back with Owen Wilson. Uh, you also get more here with Jonathan Majors, who will return to make things difficult for the titular character. Um, it looked pretty good, pretty solid from the trailers I saw. I'm still on episode three. I have not passed episode three of Loki, so I have no stake in this game. I can't tell you if I have any additional excitement for the show. I'm kind of burned out on Disney Plus shows, to be honest, at the moment. I really am. Uh, you had a bunch of other releases, Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Totally Killer, um, Dick's the Musical, like I said, that was in limited release, so that's not something that you can just inherently get easy, um, but Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines is on Paramount+, Plus. Uh, I think Totally Killer's on Prime, don't quote me on that, but uh, it's probably on Prime. Uh, and then for video games, you had a few things as well. October is a stacked month, but you had Hellboy, Web of Word, 
you had Detective Pikachu returns on October 6th, and then in the coming days here, we will get Forza Motorsport and Assassin's Creed Mirage, uh, two big, you know, AAA properties in the video game world. Uh, I'm curious to see how people respond to Assassin's Creed Mirage, um, just because, you know, Assassin's Creed has dedicated fans, but at the same time, they also have fans that love to hate the love to hate the IP. Uh, I mean, there there are plenty of people that make fun of it that love it just as equally, and so uh, I'm curious to see how the critical reception on that one's going to be, and just the audience love of it too. You know, I wanna I want that franchise to evolve. I've never been a big Assassin's Creed person. Um, and they've tried a couple of unique things, but for the most part, it's been pretty copy-paste. Uh, and so I'm hoping that eventually we get to the point where we see something new and exciting. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of other games coming out in October. On October 20th, you have Spider-Man 2 releasing on uh, PlayStation. Uh, you have Super Mario Bros. Wonder on October 20th as well. Uh, and Alan Wake 2 to round out the end of October. Uh, Alan Wake 2 is interesting. It's actually one. I've never played the original Alan Wake. I might, just because Alan Wake 2 looks so good. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, the split story between um, one character and then Alan Wake, who's in a completely weird horror kind of atmosphere. And he's completely separated from your other protagonist. And it just looks like a good mix of everything from the first with an additional dose of excitement. And so I'm really excited for Alan Wake 2, surprisingly. Still trekking away at Starfield. Have not finished Starfield yet. But I've been busy. We've been busy. We've been busy over here. So uh, that is pretty much all we have for news. Um, I don't have any trailer reactions or anything to get through today, unfortunately. Uh, but I thank you so much if you've been here the whole time watching this whole stream. Thank you so much. Uh, it really does mean a lot that you're here. Um, normally how this would work is we would have our news stories. We would go into trailer reactions or movie reviews, and then we would kind of wrap everything up with uh, questions, uh, chats, super chats, things like that. And so, um, yeah, I'm not seeing any. So. That is going to conclude today's episode of Cine-ish. Uh, I want to thank you so much for watching, and uh, if you want to find the audio version of this podcast that we do live on YouTube, you can head over to all of the major podcast uh, platforms. We're on all of them uh, at Cine-ish, and then uh, you, know, you can get access to exclusive discussions that we have. Ren hosts a show called Close Up over on our podcast platforms where basically we take uh, whether it's spoiler discussions, we did one. We so we did a Barbenheimer one where we reviewed simultaneously with spoilers uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer, and then we also did a Grand Beetle episode where we did uh, the Blue Beetle and Gran Turismo back to back as well. We have a lot of fun with that show. It's a lot more unfiltered, a lot more raw, and it would uh, be much appreciated if you would go over to whatever podcast platform you listen to. Uh, and uh, check us out. Give us a follow, and also rate and review the podcast because it helps tremendously with the algorithm. Um, I'm so excited to be back doing this, you guys. It's been, I feel like it's been forever uh, since we've actually been in front of the camera doing something live for you, so I'm, I'm very excited to be back. And then uh, next week, hopefully, we're going to have a movie review. 
if you didn't see our Saw 10 reaction, you can go over uh, on YouTube Shorts, TikTok, Instagram, uh, and find our Saw 10 reaction. If you're curious to know what we truly think of it, that uh, short gives you kind of a brief summary of kind of my feelings towards it. Um, but we didn't ever do a full mainline review, and I didn't get out to the theater this weekend. So uh, next week, hopefully... I'll have seen The Creator, and I'll have seen Dumb Money, and I will have been caught up on everything that I need to see at the theater. Uh, but until next time, wherever you are in the multiverse, we hope you take care, 